Welcome to the program. Cat-like reflexes. Westerns. Uh, not everybody likes westerns, but I think everybody has opinions on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, westerns. Those uh, rootin', tootin', pistol-shootin', ten-gallon ga- hat-wearin' ten movies about... Cowboys and things that cowboys do. Mm-hmm. We all we all have our favorites. Brendan and I. Uh, oh, my name is Brian, by the way, and I'm joined once again by Brendan Maine, who, like me, is a big fan of westerns, as That's many right. of you listening here right now might be as well. Um, we talk about like a lot of nerd stuff uh, on our show, uh, but and that usually means like science fiction or fantasy, but. Uh, I think you could be a Western nerd. Mm-hmm. Could you? Would you say that's possible? Well, I think that nerd is pretty universal at this point, right? Sure. So I mean, it just lends itself to a certain type of fandom. But the fact is that a lot of the people who like westerns are like alcoholic dads. Sure. You know what I mean? Or maybe you know what the dads don't drink at all. Right. But the point is, it's sort we're of both like, dads and we drink sometimes. Yeah. So I mean, uh, and you know. There's such a thing as a functioning alcoholic. Sure. And so, there's I mean, such a thing as a good Western. Like, I mean... There you, you go. Know, I mean, there are they're, they're outliers. Sure. What would you say... Okay, what would you say makes... Let, let's let's break it down. What defines a Western? Does it just mean that the movie took place, you know... Does it, is it about time or place? Time and place? Oh, in, in, terms, of, in terms of the genre? Sure. I think that, generally speaking, it's set within the American West, but there... Any time between about 1850 and about 1912 or something. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that, like... Before World you War know I. what You know what to see it, because, I mean, they can go down into Mexico, um, it'd still be a Western, they can sure. kind of roam, they can kind of roam sort of within that region, and it'd still be a Western, and, uh... There are westerns about people who have sort of like... One of my favorite westerns is set in Australia. Yeah, right? So, I mean, you know to see it, right? Sure. But generally speaking, you're, you're dealing with sort of like themes of civilization versus nature. You're dealing with you're dealing with good and evil. You're Frontierism. With, yeah, absolutely. All these types of things. And, uh, and, 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 I mean, you could put... You can put too fine a point on it, and suddenly realizing that you're excluding certain things. So I mean, like some of the most incredible westerns were shot in in Italy, in Italy <laughs> right? So, That's I true. Mean, um, and some of the stuff that's inspired by westerns, like you, as you say, like Australia, like hey, you know, they got an outback, sure man, they, they got a desert, you know, yeah, guns and big yeah. hats. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, do you have any? Uh, uh, any favorite westerns that stick out uh, off the top of your head that, that people, maybe people who aren't as familiar with the genre might uh, might appreciate? Well, I have a ton, but uh, I think the one that comes to mind most, um, I've been swearing about this movie up and down. So you know, one of the ways into to um, western is to watch um, when people talk about John Ford. Generally, they talk about the searchers. Right. And, you know, Spielberg talks about it's the movie they made him want to make movies. 
um, Orson Welles talking about when he wanted he wanted to make movies like The Greats, and people pressed him on that, and he said, "Well, I'm speaking of John Ford, John Ford, and John Ford." Sure. Right. So The Searchers is the one that uh, generally is touted as, if not the greatest movie of all time, and the greatest western of all time. Probably yeah. the greatest western by the greatest western director. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Searchers has always left me cold, and. I, it was it, kind of the same way that I kind of took like four or three viewings of Citizen Kane before I realized that there was something to enjoy, and I actually started really enjoying it. Right. But before that, I thought I was like holding my nose and taking my medicine, sure. right? Being like, so this is genius then, I should be looking at it. A couple times, a couple kicks at the can, you realize it's actually just incredible and wonderful film to watch. Um... So, I haven't sort of turned the corner on the searchers yet, but uh, at a film festival this year, I watched uh, John Ford's Stagecoach. Right. And Stagecoach is a breakfast club, or I guess Breakfast okay. Club is a stagecoach. Sure. It follows, in the, the, the first and then in the third act, the travels and then travails of this stagecoach filled with different kinds of people. Some of them are high society, some of them are low society, some of them are confederate, and some of them are union, some of them are dark pasts, some of them are uh, very promising futures. And they all have different interactions with each other, they all, they all come together different ways, um, they, there's a lot of distrust. There's uh there's an outlaw among them played by John Wayne. Right. When you think about John Wayne, the John the John Wayne role, he isn't he isn't playing the John Wayne role. He's playing this sure outlaw that uh, they have in manacles on the floor of this um, stagecoach. It's an incredible movie. Just an, an amazing mind-blowingly incredible piece of cinema in the sense that it's sort of like Oh, this is this is as good as movies get. <coughs> um, but you but you can't really do it today without sort of falling into cliche. Like the third act is they are attacked by Indians and then the army shows up and chases them away. Right. And now Her- heroically. Yeah, and it's sort of like and now we know too much. Like that's complicated by all these types of things and it's right. like Headed through Apache territory. Gotta watch out for those Apaches. They're on the warpath, you know. Right. And then the, the army shows up and chases them away heroically. So, in the same way that, like, you can't do Blazing Saddles today, you also can't do Stagecoach today. Well, you couldn't do The Searchers either, for that matter. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, The Searchers is like... It's all about, like, oh, my my, my niece was captured by Indians, and she's, now she's turning into one of them, so I better kill her. Yeah, I better kill her. And all of the debate in The Searchers is, well, she has to die, and we have to, be, we have to find her and kill her, and... Because not, that's a fate worse than death. Yeah, and not until the final real... Well, I'm not going to ruin The Searchers for you. This isn't. This isn't where you. Get, this isn't where the internet ruins the searchers for you today. We're not doing that here. Yeah, that's not. That's not our gig. But I mean, all of the debate is sort of about just sort of the baseness of, like, just like just some just frankly, racist stuff about it. It's not like it goes in the memory hole. Racist. It's. 
exists in a time and place. I will, and, and at least in the Searchers, for that matter, there are characters who are like, "That's bullshit! Don't do that! Mm-hmm. That's that's racist." <laughs> it was racist. So, Brian, do you have uh, a favorite Western movie that you think that you would just point people towards? Sure. I mean, like, if if you're not sure that you like westerns because you're unsure, maybe you think they're old fashioned or hokey. Uh, I mean, you can get into it with something like um, the Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. It's very accessible. It's got a cast of the top actors of the day. So if you're maybe you're not familiar with some of the uh, actors from say the '60s and '70s, uh, a lot of them like Yul Brynner is in it, and Steve McQueen, and yep. Charles Bronson, and all these guys. Um, Robert Vaughn. Uh, what else? Who else is in Magnificent Seven? Uh, James Coburn. Uh, but anyway, all these things are all these guys are in this movie. Well, there's seven of them. Yeah, and um, it's a fun adventure movie. Mm-hmm. Um, based on the Seven Samurai, mm-hmm. Kira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai film. But you don't need to know that. It's not like oh, I, oh, if I haven't seen Seven Samurai. Can I still go see the Magnificent Seven? Yeah. Yes, you can. Um, I mentioned before one of my favorite westerns was set in Australia. Right. Which is that? Uh, it's called Quigley Down Under. Okay. It's from the 90s, uh, early 90s. Uh, and it stars uh, Tom Selleck and his mustache. I mean, if you think about Tom Selleck and his mustache, those two were made to be in westerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Uh, Alan Rickman is a, a rancher in Australia. Hears about Quigley, who is a marksman. Uh, he's an old you know, American marksman, and uh, pays a great sum of money to lure him to Australia to come work for him, but it, uh, under some mystery. Uh, and when he arrives there uh, on Alan Rickman's ranch, Alan Rickman, who is now the bad guy. Uh, informs him of the reason... Alan Rickman's the bad guy? Yeah. No. <laughs> I know, oh, I know. No. Alan Rickman, uh, his character... Uh, now, it's been a while since I've seen it, but my understanding is, basically he wanted to hire this top, top marksman to help him with his aborigine problem. There are too many aborigines. He has, like, all these aborigine, like, slaves and, like... Uh, or servants, at least, and people working on his ranch, and they're getting uppity, in, in, you know, in his point of view. He wants him to kind of put down that uprising. And when he hears that, uh, Tom Selleck is like, that's racist! And he's like, no, man, I, that's not my bag. And so they become adversaries, and it's it's very cool. It's just, uh, it, it has a lot of the Western uh, tropes. So, I mean... You know, the guys riding horses, and a lot of the scenery is very similar. Mm-hmm. The mesas and the, you know, the outback. Um, but it's just different enough, being in Australia, that it puts kind of a different spin on the whole thing. And uh, it's uh, it's a really, I think, an undervalued uh, uh, bit of uh, Western cinema. Because people don't usually include that on a list of Westerns, but it's right. a Western through and through. If something has come out in the last 20 years to make... A list of westerns. You're really you have to punch above your weight because um, the western came about at sort of the nascence of cinema, right? right? So I mean, and where where those 
that lifestyle was not that far removed. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when I was watching um, John Ford movies uh, this year at the Port, Ho- Port Hope Coburg Film Festival, one of the films um, uh, I think was a ostensibly one of John Ford's earliest movies, and it was like from 1919 and a Western. Wow. Or at the very least had, you know, people, cowboys riding horses through Hollywood sets and so on. Great. Um, that's great. So, that's ancient, right? Um, but when we th- sort of think about it, sort of like, there's the stratification, right? So it's sort of like, oh, there's back when we sort of figured out John Wayne, and then there's when we really figured out John Wayne, and then this is, we make movies about how John Wayne's old now. Right. Um... You were talking about True Grit earlier before we started recording, and I mean, you have all these sort of movies where it's sort of like, hey, John Wayne can still ride a horse. Yeah. Uh, and that's a stunt, right? Wanna see me jump a fence? Yeehaw! Yeah. Like, yeah. literally. And people were like, yes, we do. We do want to see that. And, yeah, and please never stop. And then the spaghetti westerns, right? And then, like, the corner that was turned at the influx of sort of the, technico- the technological... Um, Advent of the Squib, right? Where you watch Wild Bunch and people were just sure. aghast to see people like being shot by bullets and blood spurting out of them instead of before they just like grabbed their chest and groaned and fell over, right? Yeah. You got me. Yeah. And then they collapse. Your brother shot you and I'd done for him. Yeah, nothing I can do for you, son. So uh, yeah. So but people have been making good westerns um since Christ himself was a cowboy, uh, and so you... you I would love to watch that. (laughs) There you go. Well, you know, there's an ensemble cast in Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight. That's right. Um, So there's some really major stuff out there, right? Um, Like, to be a fan of Westerns, often it's sort of like, oh, so you mean bad TV? Right. And the answer is, no great movies. I mean, uh, there were a lot of bad westerns out there, but, I mean, it was a a popular genre, so there were people exploiting it, Mm -hmm. but some of the finest movies ever made are westerns. Yeah. So, I mean, and and again, right, this this is sort of like, one of the the categories of fandom is you like a certain type of thing, irregardless of quality. Sure. So it's like, hey, you know what I like? Dragons and wizards, books about dragons and wizards, and they all sound like that too. Uh, yeah. They all sound like, um, you know, Judas uh, Lewis or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, which which book about dragons and wizards? All of them indiscriminately. That's I don't right. care. And maybe they they stratify them, but like it doesn't matter if it's like there's a both you know team of yeah. in the country. Except or, Aragorn. Fuck Aragorn. Yeah. Yeah. Or or it's like, hey, I'm a big fan of anime. Oh, that's cool. So by what do you mean by that? Do you like? Do you like? Oh, I like all anime. I like schoolgirls with big eyes. I like ever. I like every anime there's ever been indiscriminately. Sign me up for all the anime. So similarly, it could be like, look, man. I like it when there's sand and dust and a tumbleweed and a gun. So, like... That's right. They made so many westerns that your your you will, your cup will always be full, right? Like you could watch westerns every day, almost, for the rest of your life and not run out of them. Yeah. You might run out of good ones, but not, <laughs> not westerns. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, that's true. And, I mean... Um, 
but but even still, there's so much of it. But when people make lists of the top westerns, a lot often the the best ones tend to be the same. The top tend to be the same ones. Yeah, I mean you've got your the good, you've got your your good, the bad, and the ugly. Good, the bad, and the ugly. Which is one of the best movies I think that's ever been made. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the Wild Bunch. We've talked about that you yeah. and I quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Searchers, as mentioned. The Searchers, kind of, as which mentioned, is kind of. I think of it as the Citizen Kane of um, the Citizen Kane. Uh, of, I think uh, the Searchers is. Um, I agree with you that it, it it doesn't click for me in the same way. Although I liked it more than you did, yeah. I think the Searchers' influence, I think, has more to do with its look than with its yeah uh, w- than with its plot. Because mm-hmm. the plot is kind of dated, and although it is nuanced, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of there ethics. are some uncomfortable elements people don't want to deal with anymore. Yeah. Well, racism, but right, but 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 in terms of its significance, yeah, that was sort of the way that but they it, sort of like the they kind of it's kind of the good dinosaur, but not terrible. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but I mean, a lot of the visual look. We when we watch it today, we're like, "Oh yeah, that's just what it looks like." But it, I think it was fairly ahead of its time yeah. in, in some of its storytelling techniques and mm-hmm. just just the the language of its uh, of its filming. And I mean, I remember. I mean, there's the famous two. There are the two famous shots at the beginning and ending where he's standing in a doorway. Yes, and they have different meanings each time, and and that, that's sort of a famous example. There you go, but, save the cat. But to, <laughs> that's right. Uh, to me. There's a there's a scene in it where John Wayne and uh, his companion, whose name whose character name I, f- I forget, uh, they're riding their horses at night through a wooded area and it's snowing, right up in the mountains, mm-hmm. and it's probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Yeah, and uh, they didn't have to make it that way. They didn't have to make it snow. No one would have been like, you know, what this western needs snow. But it did have it, and it just sort of adds a lot of those, you know, like the cake, it doesn't matter what the t- cake tastes like, as long as it's decorated really well on the other side. Yeah. You go, ooh, ah, and you no, look, there, no one's ever decorated a cake is, that way. There is something to it. I mean, one of the things that people sort of describe about Westerns, and they also describe about a lot of film, is um, they talk about um, Howard Hawks, uh, maybe just butchering this. But I think of people say, I've heard people refer to the Hoxian dilemma, which is, well, does he live or die? Okay. And I think, a lot of people say, oh, Westerns are morality plays. And I think yes and no, because I mean, often when you think about, it, they can be, they, they like, Westerns often function well at the level of allegory, but they aren't always allegorical. Um, or even imbued symbolically with these types of moral types of things. I mean, because there are all sorts of Westerns where it's sort of like the people that we root for are are despicable or villainous or rascally or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, the idea of, like, white hat, black hat is very sort of parochial, and that goes away very quickly. But there is something about Westerns, and often the question is, the dilemma at the heart of a Western is, does somebody live or die? Right. A lot. Do a lot of people live or die? Sure. And so, that that's at the heart of all, a lot of great art. And so, I mean, even if you have people just sort of like, okay, or um, you talk about this scene, you've talked about this scene before, um, The Wild Bunch. Right. 
Everyone talks about the Wild Bunch. Everyone remembers that they walk, you know, five abreast, and it's all very cool as they walk. I mean, like that's the that's the coolest way to walk. Yeah, man. Uh, and then that that's the shot. And, there, right? and there's people there's people in the in the on the square, and there's chickens running around, and it's it's very busy. But you're drawn to these five guys walking purposefully down the yeah, you know, to their death. And almost. even preceding that, but you talk about the moment where someone says, "Let's go." Yeah, all of that is imbued with meaning because of the Hoxian thing, right? Yeah. Life or death. That's right. If you haven't seen it, it's a spoiler for you know a forty-year-old movie, but uh, these the wild bunch, these guys yep. of sort of robbers and outlaws are they're held up. Uh, I think at the you know the 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 villain has sort of taken them on and has given them some rooms and given them some girls and mm-hmm. some food and. But they're holding their friend hostage, and he's going to be killed, and they realize that they've got to do something, but doing so is going to be certain death, and yeah. it's a very quiet scene, and the guys are sort of enjoying their last pleasures of you know, the woman, and the, and the food, and the drink, and then uh, William Holden just comes in, looks at everybody, they all look up at him, and he just says, let's go. And then that's when you know they're all about to be led to their death. Yeah, and so and and I think that one of the things that uh, that that changes is that for one thing, somehow it's okay for everyone to die in a western, or nearly everyone to die in a western, because right. it says, well, it happened in the past, or it was a violent time, or well, right. they they don't belong in modernity, or you live by the gun, you die by the gun, and so a couple things. One. It allows for tragedy in a time when actually tragic things are incredibly different, difficult to make. That's true. Um, so you can make classic. So, so, so classical tragedy succeeds, um, uh, and bitter ends and bittersweet ends. It's sort of like, oh, you can kill everybody, and you can kill everybody in a horror movie too. But that's incredibly cynical. The reason that you can kill everybody in a horror movie usually is because. It, if you kill everybody in a horror movie, it's because they are all unlikable. And it's like, congratulations, you have made every character unlikable, and so the one character that, that survived, you can care, you can kill in the last five seconds in a jump scare. Right. Good job. You've you've succeeded in making me. Oh, the the most the the only character I care about is the villain, the the the, the horrible murdering whatever. Congratulations. No one gives a shit. Yeah. Um, but Western's sort of like, look, all these people can... It, it's a different thing to say, look, we can make a movie, you can care about these people. Often it's two hours, you know, epic stuff. Kill everybody and say, are you not satisfied? So I think there's real success there, right? Sure. You talk about that sort of that, that snowy scene in The Searchers. There's big stuff going on at the hearts of Western, I think, and and I think that that's something that I find incredibly compelling. There's uh, many westerns, and some some people would argue the the genre itself is is heavily influenced by samurai films of Japan. Oh yes. Um, how do you think that would influence? Like a lot of these characters, like a lot of them live by, like a lot of them are really just samurai, mm-hmm. but they're dressed as cowboys. I mean, I don't think real frontier cow cowboy 
you know, figures would have lived by sort of a samurai code. Yeah. Uh, but in westerns, they frequently do. Mm. And do you think that we would have the western genre that we enjoy as it is now without? Oh that yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah abs- absolutely, absolutely. Because um, for one thing, we were making we were making westerns. There was a real budding. Uh, there was a real budding. Um, Film industry in the states, people were making westerns, sort of preceding these samurai films. For one thing, for another thing, uh, I mean, I think that it's just that there are m- cultural, mythological parallels. Uh, so it's funny because when you mentioned sort of the top ten list, um, we were looking at some top ten lists earlier today, and in the spirit of egalitarianism, there are some these types of elisions where it's sort of like, well, look, you can't just have ten John Fords, or you can't have just ten um, Leones, or you can't have just and hawks or what have you so you kind of like sample but like you know what's another so the so yes the good the bad the ugly is is uh, is one of the greatest films of all time yeah um if you haven't seen it stop this podcast right now go and watch it we'll wait you're just going to be incredible you're just going to get an incredibly rich experience because all of the things that you know about the good and the bad the ugly are there and awesome and the things that are in there and that you don't know are also awesome. You know the good, the bad, the ugly theme? Well, the movie is full of amazing... Like, that's not even the best... That's not even the best song That's not the even movie. the best song written by Marcone in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, right? The that's best, right. like, it's, it's, it's Ecstasy of Gold. Everyone knows it's Ecstasy of Gold. It's Ecstasy of Gold. Um, okay, well, everybody knows it, then you won't be surprised. <laughs> but it's amazing. It's an amazing film. But regardless reg- regardless to that, it's sort of like, hey, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is so, 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 so good. You know what else is good? Um, Fistful of Dollars is good. And for a few dollars more. And for a few dollars which more is, the is one amazing. That it kind of gets forgotten, because I think of its title... Yeah, because it's like the fistful of dollars. Oh, and for a few dollars more, it's like yeah. oh, a cheap sequel. But it's incredible, and it rivals the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, it has a very similar scene at the at the third act, right, with the the music box. Scene, yes, right. Oh, yeah. That's so it's incredible. Um, so if we're talking about Japanese for movies, I mean, a fistful of dollars is Yojimbo, uh, um, right? Yeah, it's just That's it's right. it's just Yojimbo, just adapted, and and I mean. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for that, Yojimbo. And thank you. And so, like, in Yojimbo and in True Grit, um, similarly, a lot of a lot of the movement between the second act and the third act. There's something that uh, a lot of people have a lot of names for it. One thing that I'm very interested in is something like this idea of exile. Okay. Sure. Um, and somebody who has to leave, go somewhere else, get the shit together. And Yojimbo, he's hurt badly, and he shacks up in this shack. It's just him for days, and he has a knife on a string. He throws the knife against the wall, and he pulls the knife back to him, and he does it again. Almost over and over and over, and he builds his strength up. And then he goes, and and then in going back to battle, he wears, he wields that knife aside his um, katana. And, like, he's this disgraced um, ronin, right? Like, he's a samurai with no master. So the assumption is that he has no honor. But in going to battle with that uh, katana and the, 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 the knife, you know, it, it. I've never read this, but to me, it 
it's always reminded me of like the full samurai dai show of the katana and the wakazashi right so it's sort of going back he's he's armed himself again right i mean he has you see a lot of these types of things and there's a similar scene it's similar scene in fistful of dollars that's right but it's sort of like oh you know it's also an incredibly amazing movie fistful of dollars oh you know it's another awesome incredible movie is um for a few dollars more also an adaption an adaptation of the sequel to um your jumbo is it? Yeah, and you know, yeah I didn't in, know that. indeed, yeah, indeed, um, it is. So, I mean, I think of this as sort of just like a wonderful sort of cultural experiment, where it's sort of like, oh, you made something great, thank you. Um, adaptation is interesting because I mean, uh, there there have been a couple uh, Western adaptations now, um, and because of the span of time, if you create something, it's it's uh, it's necessarily different, right? Um, the Coen brothers uh, made a True Grit. Right. And then there's, of course, the John Wayne True Grit. Um, both succeed. I think both were excellent films. Yes. Um, I'm the, not, we saw them back-to-back, but they... Yeah, we did. Which, which was, was a, an interesting... Which was, which, was a, which was a pleasure. Like, yeah. I love doing stuff like that. We watched um, the John Wayne True Grit and immediately went... Like the next day. Yeah. Uh, and watched the Coen brothers film. I mean... For one thing, that's fantastic. For another thing, I mean, it necessarily forces you to view something as adaptation, which is an academic exercise that not everybody wants to sort of participate in. Um, so there are, it's not for everybody, but it's wonderful if you can take a crack at it, right? Um, or uh, 310 to Yuma, the, the remake Unseen by Me. I have not seen the remake, but the original is terrific. The original is terrific. And you know what? Three ten to I mean, often people sort of think about westerns as being samey, or uh, possessed of a sort of possessed of a certain archaic form of justice. In Three Ten to Yuma, it's this incredibly liberal film about democracy, about sort of the functioning of society, and it's this debate about being like we have we have this outlaw, he is in our custody. Do we murder him? The answer is no. We need to get him on a train to take him to a town where he'll be tried and hung. It's like, we know he's guilty. Everybody knows. There's no, he's just, there's no he, question of guilt. He knows he's guilty. And if we keep him in a moment's, in a moment's notice, when we drop our guard, he will harm us. And he does. He's, he's incredibly volatile. Oh, and also... Uh, his old uh, his, his, gang, old, is his, coming to his gang is coming to bust him out. So they have to wait for the three ten train to Yuma. That's yeah. the title. If you didn't know, Yuma. Um, and so you have this sort of like this um, protagonist who life is treated very badly, and you have this intre- incredibly intelligent, articulate criminal. He is a terrific villain, and I think is overlooked when they, you talk about like great villains. Oh, absolutely, know. and he's sort of like. You love your wife, eh? You must not be able to love your wife. You must not love your wife the way you say you do because I see the lines of hardship on her face. She must have been very pretty once. Imagine she could still be pretty today if her face weren't creased from poverty and lines of worry. You know? Like, you're you're being a farmer and and trying to grow things in dirt or, or a rancher or what have you has harmed those you love. Do you know how good the people I love have it? 
and he makes these incredibly compelling moral arguments, uh, and it lends itself to some great drama, right? It's kind of the twelve angry men of uh, westerns, right? Yeah. yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And uh, and and some people are like, look, we just we should just string them up, uh, but. You know, but and, and and I mean, what and where does the drama come from? Well, two things. There's the Hoxian thing. You know, do they live or die? Is this guy's got gang and they just blow into town and kill everybody? But another sort of moment of drama is they just debate. And it's like, when do you get that? When do you get to say I disagree with the way that you've described society functions um, in a way that's not corny or maudlin or highfalutin? You know. Have you ever seen a Western that you hated? I mean, generally speaking, if the Westerns that I've disliked have been the ones that uh, are just not masterful in the same way that the great movies are. So, I mean, there's different it's ways... It's pretty high standard. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's lots of ways to dislike a movie. <clears throat> um, so, I mean, you know, like... For, for uh, instance, I was super stoked to see Appaloosa. Okay. And because it was a western, it was coming out. It had like some good actors in it, and the trailer looked kind of cool or whatever. And then I watched it, and it was boring as fuck. Right. And one thing that westerns could be a lot of things, but they can't be boring. No. That's you know. Uh, so I, that that's one that I was really disappointed at. And it, it just it was nothing. It was just like a nothing. I remember being surprised by how um, how weird the outlaw Josie Wales was. And it's um. Really falls apart at the end. Yeah, it doesn't really stick the landing. It doesn't really have a strong third act. The premise: this guy's family are massacred by uh, Union soldiers is 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 is, is very um, engaging, but he doesn't really ever get around to doing doing anything about it. It's kind of like a weird trip. You know, he yeah. meets a Native American guy who dresses like Abraham Lincoln, and he kind of bops around and. And so I see it at the top of these uh, best lists sometimes, and I think you know it's like it it doesn't have the same it isn't it's it's not like a, a fine Swiss watch of a film. Sure, they kind of dink around a lot. Um, there are westerns that you sort of have to watch and uh, realize that you're engaging in something different. Have you seen the musical uh, Cat Baloo? I have. Right. Uh. I liked it just fine. I know some people like it a lot. Yeah. Uh, the scene where Lee Marvin sobers up and trains and gets ready for his big, you know, third act is is hilarious. Yeah. Like, it's really funny. Yeah. Um, but I, I, a lot of it I thought was kind of forgettable and I, mm-hmm. I just kind of, whatever. But what, what, what are your thoughts on Cat Baloo? I like it. But then again, I really, really like musicals. That's true. It is a musical. Not everybody really, really likes musicals. Um, so I mean, there's, there's that. I mean, there's, there are John Wayne movies where it's sort of like, oh, it's just John Wayne doing his thing, and it's sort of like... John Wayne was really good at doing that thing. That's the thing. (laughs) Absolutely. And like, sort of like, but sort of like on autopilot, where it's sort of like, the most engaging John Wayne movies to me are the ones where it's sort of like, well, this is John Wayne before I figured out his thing. Right. Well, this is John Wayne a bit into it. Because he was in, like, 500 movies before he was in anything where he was John Wayne. Yeah, then it's just John Wayne for another 500. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, like... But by the time you get to, like, the shootest, it's like, here's old John Wayne, let's figure that out. Or, as I mentioned, Stagecoach, so here's young John Wayne, but he's still, like, he just... 
he's still this enormous presence, right? So, I mean, there's that, right? Yeah. Um, I, I loved uh, the Coen Brothers' um, True Grit, but uh, I Whoops. don't know when I'll feel compelled to watch it again. Yeah, that's true. I I agree with you on that. A lot of Coen Brother movies are, are like that. I love No Country for Old Men, but it's not like everybody. Let's all just get some popcorn, and we're all just gonna watch this dreadful. The movie's not dreadful, but it's it's full of dread. Yeah. Uh, you know this existential, uh, you know whatever. Like it's it's a, a terrific film, and yeah. some people would call that a western. Mm-hmm. Um, although it doesn't, I mean, fit, it doesn't, it doesn't tick all the boxes. Cormac but... McCarthy makes modern westerns, sure, and modern stories that are informed by western. So they're either westerns proper, like Blood Meridian, or they're just, or they're just spiritually in the same vein, right? So I mean, it's a western, sure. I don't want. I mean, once you start. There's no there's no virtue in excluding things from these types of categories no. for one thing. And if your if your definition is sort of like I like science fiction, that means not Star Wars. It's like congratulations. What does your definition do for you? Yeah. What what possibly does it give you? Years ago, I go, this is a little off topic, but remember Speaker's Corner? Yes, I do. They used to have it on much music and chum, all the chum stuff. I a lot of it was kind of forgettable, but I do remember one guy, he was a young, younger guy, sort of teenager, uh, dressed sort of as a punk rocker of, of some kind or, right. or whatever. This is in the 90s. And he was livid. Livid. Because he loves alternative music. That was a thing in the 90s. You just called it alternative. That was the genre. Yeah. Alternative music. Uh, but because Nirvana had sold so many records, so many albums, they were no longer technically considered alternative uh, on paper. Right. And he was livid that his favorite band was no longer considered alternative because he, he only listened to alternative music. Right. And that's bullshit. He, the guy was, like, so mad. And I remember thinking, like, dude, you could still listen to it. It's, it's just a designation. <laughs> You know, so, so you're right. It's like it's like what is that? What does his definition of alternative do for him? Yeah. It does not benefit him at all. Yeah. Or it's like you know. Sorry, I digress. That was if, just... if all you listen to is alternative, you're not really giving yourself an alternative. No, not at all. Um, it's irony. It's thick. You can cut it with a knife. Um, so, uh, what would you say, Brian? The perf- what, what is your perfect western? Uh, a hypothetical perfect western? No, no, no. I, I think or what is what movie there's, there's, is? Yeah, what movie is the app? Let me let me take a couple runs at this. Okay. Apotheosis, stuck the landing. Gotcha. What is what western is the apotheosis of the form? Boring answers are allowed. Boring answers. Boring answers allowed. I remember we had a car argument from Toronto Midland on what was the what was the funniest cartoon of all time. I was also in the backseat talking about for half an hour, and you just said, it's just the Simpsons in the front of the car. Yeah. And then that the argument was over, because... It was like, okay, we all just agree it's the Simpsons. Yeah. Can we just move on and then go from there? Yeah, it was like, oh, why did any of us think that it was the Simpsons? Yeah. I mean, that's the... Clear- like somebody's like, well, who's the best band of all time? And it's like, well, it's clearly Right Said Fred. Like, there's just Yeah, no... it's just, it's Maroon 5. Maroon 5, yeah. I, I, I like that when they were back, still just Maroon 3. I mean... <laughs> Hey, Maroon like before, 3 did some before, great stuff. Before the Green no, Rangers my... showed up. 
So anyway, I, I know what you mean, boring answers. I mean, uh, probably my favorite Western is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Right. There's a, the, the scope of that movie is so awesome. Yeah. And I don't mean awesome like awesome. I mean, it it, it is it fills you with awe. It's so yeah. good. Um, so yeah, and, and I think uh, honorable mention for uh, underappreciated Western would go to Quigley Down Under. All right, not not it's not in the same league as as the good the bad the ugly. I got I got, but, but that's a, a pick that I would I would suggest people look. I at. got one that's never going to be at the number one spot on best westerns because the um, competition is so fierce. But in terms of the third try apotheosis, <laughs> nailed it. Of the form, Rio Bravo. Oh, very good. Rio nice. Bravo, right? It's John Wayne doing John Wayne. It's John Wayne just playing John it's Wayne. It's just John Wayne and Dino. Right? Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. just John Wayne and Dino and a codger with a giant crate of dynamite. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it, uh, Dino sings. John Wayne falls in love with a burlesque girl dresses in yellow, brocade. And it's a siege movie. They're besieged and must fight away, uh, these, uh... Bad guys. Bad guys, these varmints that come rolling into town. And it's wonderful. It's charming. And uh, Dean Martin plays a uh, El... I think they just call him Baracho, the drunk. I'm not sure they call him El Baracho. Just Baracho. He's got to sober up. So... So great. wait a minute, wait a minute. Dean Martin plays a drunk? I know, he's playing against type. Oh. Uh... Oh, there's there's another great drunk scene in the westerns uh, talking about uh, stagecoach, as I mentioned, which they have this um, this uh, this drunk doctor now, kind of a quack, but but the he has his chops. They realize that this woman is not sick; she's very pregnant and in labor, and he has to immediately sober up to deliver the baby, <laughs> and he's calling for coffee. He's drinking coffee and they're dunking his head. It's a great, it's a great sober up scene. Reminds me of uh, Mandy Patinkin and uh, his uh, his um, rehab with Honor the Giant and uh, oh yes, in um, Princess, Princess Bride. Bride. But it's just like, just suddenly, suddenly this woman's in this woman's in jeopardy. It's sort of like we're gonna need a lot of very, very strong, very, very black coffee, and that's. I mean, you don't get moments like that in other no, it's touch true. Film, um, I think that uh, I think that we're afraid of big stuff, and I think that we're afraid of sort of like uh, there's a lot of stuff in westerns that are, that's larger than life, and I think that that's really, I found incredibly compelling. Another thing about westerns I should add: I did not watch them in childhood. Mm. I strictly watched them in adulthood. I have no nostalgia for westerns. Sure. And I think that I equate them with sort of like being like, I'm an adult and I can watch whatever I want, whatever's good. And it wasn't, wasn't like, oh, I watched the Rootin' Tootin' Hour. Right. Oh, this is, oh, I love Bonanza. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't, and I, 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 the way that I'm framing that, it seems like I have this idea that there's a certain purity to it, but it's sort of like, to me, often when people are like, oh, yeah, you know, these emotionally stunted people who want to watch these emotionally stunted stuff. It's like, westerns are amazing. And there's everything that you could possibly want there. 
Well, I think that's uh, a good way to end it right there. So everyone go watch Hateful Eight and uh, come tell us about it. Or The Ridiculous Six on Netflix. Or The Ridiculous Six, which is only two worse than The Hateful Eight, right? Yeah, or you can watch The Magnificent Seven right in the middle. Yeah, that's right. The sweet spot right there. Line them up. So what do you think? Uh, Do you have any favorite westerns? Do you have any that uh, you think are overrated? Or some that you think are are, are underlooked gems? Let us know. You can uh, find us on Twitter at CR Podcast. You can send us an email at info at catlikereflexes.com or you can find all the information about our various social media wheelings and dealings over at our website, catlikereflexes.com. Happy trails! Happy trails! The music at the beginning and ending of today's episode of Cat-Like Reflexes was Colder Than the Edge of Space by Heffervescent. I found their music on gemendo.com and so can you. Or you can find a link to it at our website, catlikereflexes.com.